Hey there, welcome to the Dressage with Amelia podcast, where it's all about breaking things down and helping you learn to love your ride. I'm your host, Amelia Newcomb. These sessions are recordings from my Facebook Live, where I answer as many questions as I can from my audience. I hope you enjoy this episode where I answer your questions about dressage. Please help me out and share this with a friend who also rides horses. Hello, everyone. Hello. We're two minutes late. We were um, reading in a book. We were reading an excerpt. We've selected an excerpt from a book to read to you guys. The lighting is terrible. I have shadows over my eyes. We forgot to turn on the light. Okay, what's on the menu for tonight? Apparently books. Books. Um, a couple of announcements. I'm going to be at the Sacramento Horse Expo the second weekend in June. So June 10th and 11th. It's going to be very exciting. Stefan Peters is going to be there. Warwick Scholler is going to be there. I'm going to be doing some demos. And we Are have some... No, I, I'm going to be teaching. We have four demo riders that are going to be there and I'll be doing some different um, lectures. Like I think one's on suppleness, one's on half halts, one on flying changes. So it will be an experience. I've never done like a big demonstration like that. I hope to see some of you there. The other thing is I have a awesome new PDF for you to download which is all about planning your ride with the training scale. So I will put the link in the chat for you to download. Um, what's your opinion of the training scale, honey? What do you mean? What's about, it's useful. It's like, what would you do? It's like the roadmap. It's how you get things done. It's how you get from point A to point B. You got to have a plan. Exactly. So, People are always asking me, like, how do you plan your ride? How do you know what to work on? What do you do if you have a problem? I think about the training scale. It's like something that I always have in the back of my mind with every single horse I ride, every single lesson I teach, everything. And you need to, like, be able to recite the levels of the training scale from the bottom to the top without hesitation. Do you agree? If I can remember it. You don't remember the levels of the training scale? They've changed it. <laughs> They've changed it. They have changed it. They've reduced phrases down to one word and used to be like rhythm and regularity. Now it just says rhythm because you can't have regularity if you don't have rhythm. So they condense it down to do. Yes. So basically, if you can't recite the levels of the training scale, download the PDF. If you're having a problem with your horse, download the PDF. If you ride around and you don't know what to work on, you need to be thinking about the training scale because it's like the secret to life. So it's there for you. It's free. We worked really hard on putting it together. And um, what else? Do you want to read them your excerpt from your book okay. and show us what book it is? Tell us what book it is. You have to tell them. It's uh, James Phyllis. What's the title of the book? Breaking and Writing. Breaking and riding, but we're only on, he's only on page 16. Yeah. But it is really useful to read literature about riding and about training. I think you learn a lot from it. Okay. So 
This is going to be three paragraphs. It's quite long. The excessive use of the stirrups has other faults. I am in the opinion that the great majority of dangerous falls are caused by their abuse. For example, Mr. X is run away with by his horse in the forest of St. Germain. He sits well down into the saddle, succeeds in stopping the animal and starts into a trot on his stirrups. Unfortunately, a stirrup leather breaks at this moment and Mr. X falls on his head and is killed. Every horseman knows that the breaking of a stirrup leather can cause a rider to fall on his head only because the man had put all his weight on the stirrups and was consequently more or less out of the saddle. If he was not bearing his weight on the stirrups, he might no doubt roll off, but the severity of the fall would be more or less broken by the fact that the knees would be gripping the flaps of the saddle. I would go further and say that if a rider did not depend on his stirrups, he would, all, he would hardly ever fall off on account of a stirrup leather breaking. Okay, but how often do stirrup leathers break? Yours well, I had one break the other day. Ago. I had a stirrup leather break two weeks ago. So one thing is that you should check your stirrup leathers and make sure that like the rivets are good at the top. Make sure that you buy good stirrup leathers. Like a lot of the stirrup leathers now have like... Um, fabric inside of them yeah so that they don't break like so that the leather doesn't just like right the leather's and gonna age and crack yeah and i remember i had a trainer once who saw the stitching in my leather and just ripped my stirrup leather because there was only like four stitches left in it and she's like this is terrible and just ripped yeah. it and said go fix this and that was the end of that stirrup yes leather. so you do want to check your tack you want to check your stirrup leathers you want to check your girth that's another thing you want to check like your reins because all of that stuff can age and not last. Um, and it's also good not to buy the cheapest equipment possible because lots of times cheap equipment breaks. And yes, when you're riding, you should have how much weight in your stirrups, like 20% of your weight in your stirrups. But you shouldn't be like bracing on your stirrups. Right, which we'll skip the second example then and just move to that paragraph. Yes. You'd rather do that? Yes. Okay. So, standing on the stirrups is like standing on a springboard, in which case, if any violent movement is produced by the horse, the rider is liable, liable to be shot forward as if from a catapult and always onto his head. Even okay. when the horse plunges forward, the rider will rarely be unseated if he is sitting well into the saddle with his weight resting on his seat. So, That's funny. That That is very well written. Like, I have a very clear picture of being catapulted out of the saddle because I'm, like, have all my weight in my stirrups. And I'm pretty sure... But the moral of the story is you have to work on developing an independent seat and you shouldn't rely on like jamming and pushing all the weight into your stirrups because you'll end up hovering above the saddle. You never get down in it. It's and like you're braced. You can't, you, you can't, can't follow. You're not pliable. You will be stiff. Yeah. You can't follow the motion of your horse. So that's why it's, that's why it's important. So that was what I said. I'm working my way this, through this book again. And there's some really fabulous stuff about corrections to be made and, you know, how to treat a horse. Yeah, looks like a good book. It looks very dense. It, it yeah. 
It's okay. light reading. Oh yeah, someone wants to know what happened to your finger. Did you fracture? Did you break your finger? What happened to your finger? Um, I didn't identify with the tip. I had it removed. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't believe you just said Did that. Did I say that? Or was say, no, that's, uh, um, I stuck it inside of a the fan, the fan on a blower and I took off the tip. So they've put the, uh, they sewed the tip back on about two weeks ago and I'm good to go. Oh, good. Someone in Facebook says, I tend to press into my stirrups when I get tense. Any pointers on how to get over that? You could always take your stirrups away. <laughs> Safety first. Right. I would say I breathe and remember the illustrative sentence that Herman just read about how bracing in your stirrups can cause you to catapult out off of your horse. Okay, so the thing about the stirrups is really quite difficult, right? Because you spend your day standing on your feet. So the pathways from your brain to your feet are really, really well formed. So in any time that there's a thing that happens, our brain goes, oh my God, I got to stand up and you go to your feet. If you don't have your stirrups, then necessity being the mother of invention, you will develop a seat because you have to. Right. Which is why riding without stirrups is good exercise. Now, maybe not at the moment of tension. So yes. before you ride, I make my students walk without their stirrups, do suppling exercises for the horse and the rider doesn't have their stirrups just to wake up. The, the nerve endings in your butt and in your thighs and to get a different sensation so that you're getting input from um, different sensory instead of your feet because your brain to your feet, that is really, really well formed. And the only time you're going to be taking in information from your seat is when you're in the saddle. So you, if you take the stirrups away, you will feel something different. And so you do that at the walk, you feel them well comfortable, you do it at the trot. I mean, I know I got lunged, I got lunged without stirrups and without reins. And yeah. um, that's how my trainer developed my seat. You can also really think about like when you get nervous or tense, pushing your seat into the saddle, like sitting back, consciously telling yourself to like connect through your seat. Because when you stand, when you brace in your stirrups, that lifts you off of the horse, which is really and what so, you don't want to happen. We won't show that finger then. So you're sitting down, right? If the horse goes anywhere, you're sitting down. If you stand in the stirrups and the horse goes, you're coming off. You're coming off. Okay, there's some other good questions here. I'm working on more jump in the canter. Do you have any tips? Cavaletti's ground poles. I would say lots of transitions too, like walk canter. Those are yeah. my favorite to get more jump in the canter and really focus on the first stride of canter that the first, like that you go from walk. And when you ask for canter that your horse gets like really like jumpy active canter. That's what I did a lot with Kensington um, because when I got Kensington his canter was like really slow and big. And uh, Hinneman had me do about a million, like walk canner, walk canner, walk canner. And that really helped. Okay. Um, oh yeah. Someone, I can't see your names. I'm sorry, but I watched your video about developing expression in the trot. That was this week's YouTube video. How do you know when your horse is ready to begin working on it? And is it months or year process? How much should you work on it? It looks very physically demanding. 
Yes, all of those things. Experience counts. I mean, that's that's the trick of this thing is you know, you, you develop feel and you say, hey, the horse feels balanced. And I can feel the power and the horse is here. And then so then you do it. Um, there's, there's no substitute for experience. You just got to try it. Yeah. But I always think that it's important to do like when you're developing that bigger trot to do short segments of it. So oh, yeah. like at first you only get one or two steps and then you walk and you pet your horse. And then the next time you ask for three or four steps and then you walk and you pet your horse, because it's definitely one of those things that the horse has to figure out what you want. And also they have to develop the strength for it. And then like Herman said, it's about balance. So you can only get expression when your horse is engaged behind and through and supple in the top line. So you have to spend a lot of time working on those basics before you work on the expression. And it and takes years. You really years. want to reward the horse's try, right? If the horse tries, you reward that. It'll turn into, as he learns, he, he, he'll do it. But you just, you got to reward the try. Yeah. And it takes years. Like, for example, with Kensington, he has a good trot. Um, but for the past, I would say, year and a half, I've been working a lot on the half steps on the pee off with him. And just like in the last few months, like you saw it today, he's starting to get like a lot of expression in his trot. A lot of loft and lift in there. Yeah. More power. But it's taken, basically I built him up by getting the canter better, like really getting the canter quicker and more collected, working on the half steps. And then now it's like coming the expression into the trot, but it's been like, a, it's a several year process for sure. It doesn't just happen overnight. It's not weeks. Okay. Here's a question from Dreamer on YouTube. I own a, an Arabian and he's very spooky. He spooks yeah. at everything. Do you have any tips on how to help? Well, it's all the stuff that we always, it's, it's the groundwork. It's familiarizing him. It's not overfacing him. You know, you want to do things where he's looking to you for guidance and, and build on that. Start small and reward every little thing where he comes to you. And I think also getting them on the eights because like it, you have to teach your horse that your inside leg and like your inside bend and having them focus on the inside of the arena, that that's more important than everything else around. Because some horses, like if you just let them wander around with their head up and look at everything, they're going to spook at everything. But if you put them to work and you bend them to the inside and you put them in shoulder in and you give them a job to do, they get security and confidence through knowing like, okay, I don't need to worry about everything else because my rider is on my back. It. Yeah. And, but that takes time. And like a lot, I always do a lot of groundwork a lot of um, bending on the ground, teaching them turn on the forehand. Right, and that's going to take longer with an Arab than a quarter horse, say. Eh? Yeah. You mean, because they're going to go to the, I mean, everything goes to the bloodline. But Arabians are really smart. Real I, smart. Yeah, I had an Arabian that I trained up to the I2, and he was so smart. The other thing about Arabs is they always want to put their head up. So doing a lot of, like, pull release, getting them to put their head down on the ground um, that will help you when you ride because you need to get be able to put their head down and get them um, relaxed. Okay, another question. 
I struggle with knowing when my trot tempo is correct, not lazy, and not rushing. That's my favorite story. What's that? I was on cue and I was trotting around and I was like, wow, this feels great. I'm really happy. I'm like, this is the greatest trot. This is awesome. This I'm going to win the gold medal. And Amelia's taking a horse out to the turnout. She yells from the other side of the parking lot. Why do you let him trot like that? Because obviously it did not look nearly as good as I thought it felt. So yeah, welcome to horseback riding. Is that why you don't ever let me help you anymore? <laughs> did, did I crush you that? Okay, the thing with tempo, trot tempo, is that you need to feel like you have control of your tempo, like you can make it quicker or you can make it slower. And you also need to feel like you can make a transition out of that tempo. Like, right. The trots, if you could say canter and the horse canters, your trots are okay. If you can't yeah. get to the canter, the trot's not okay. Yeah. So. Okay, I want to ask this question about the training scale and remind all of you to download the free PDF. I'll put the link in the chat again. The training scale. This is a question from Brooke. Should I make sure I have rhythm and suppleness before I start scrambling eggs? My horse can be very braced at times. I don't know if I should just start counting out loud, become a human metronome like I have been creating rhythm and tempo to help us get organized and then focus on getting her around by scrambling eggs or try to get her around while I'm finding the rhythm? That's a good question. I think you do the rhythm first, establish that and then start suppling. I'll put the link to download our training scale PDF in the chat. Um, but it, it, and even as I say that, it's, like it's all so, related. It's, it's almost simultaneous. Right, because you can't really push on a tense horse. If the horse's neck is this braced, brittle thing, they're not going to want to go either. So, so the way that the training scale works is that, in general, you start at the bottom and you work your way up to the top. But that said, all the levels are kind of interrelated, and it's not like you have to master one level before moving on to the next. So the levels of the training scale are rhythm, suppleness, connection, impulsion, straightness, and collection. So most of your time is always spent at the bottom. When I get on a horse, I always start by thinking about the rhythm and the suppleness. Um, but the, those bottom three levels, like rhythm, suppleness, and connection are, are all related. But if you have to compromise one thing, like if you're having trouble just getting your horse moving forward, then yes, you have to focus on the rhythm first, like getting the rhythm, getting the tempo, getting your horse moving, then start working on the suppleness and the connection. Yeah. And if it's not moving at all, a turn on the forehand would be good. And that's like scrambling the egg. And there you're starting to get some suppleness and then it can go forward. I just think about the young horses that, you know, when you, you turn on the forehand and you get them all lovey-dovey and then go. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's like the training scale is a general guide that you want to use. And a lot of people make the mistake of just focusing too much on the top of the training scale, like just working on straightness and collection. And that makes for very unhappy and stiff horses 
So it is something that you always want to have in mind and then just kind of like play around with it, you know, like start scrambling the eggs, asking your horse to get a little rounder, but then you have to check back in with your rhythm and tempo and make sure that your horse hasn't slowed down. So that's like your priority list, but you've got to be focusing on all three of those things. Cause if you're not, you know, getting your horse round, then you're also not having your horse supple or in the correct rhythm. Okay. Um, let's see. Here's a question from Patty. How do you deal with a horse who has a great walk until I pick up the reins and then he gets lateral or stilted? Lots of curved lines. Curved lines, leg yields, all that stuff. Circles, curved line, just curved line and curved line. Yeah, leg yield on the curved line. And because you got to break the timing. So that's that's pretty much it. Don't write any more straight lines until you get to the show. Okay, here's another question. I think this is maybe from someone who's in our rider position challenge. Um, she still has trouble keeping her legs steady in the canter. How do you keep your legs from swinging back and forth in the canter? What's your advice? I think I, I, I've got just that gentle hug with my calf that keeps my leg and I feel, and I make sure my hips move because yeah. something has to follow the rhythm of it. Something has to follow the movement. So if your hips aren't going, your hands will go. I mean, because energy is, is like a, it's like a river, right? You're not going to stop the water. You got to work with that. So some part of you has got to move and it's got to be your hips. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes if your legs are swinging, it's because your hips your are flexible. Yeah. Your C isn't connected enough. And some of it too, is just like an awareness and breaking of a habit is like feeling the horse underneath of your calf. And if it's sliding back and forth, then you've got to quit that. But it's also, you know, we get into bad habits when we ride. Like this morning, Herman was teaching me with Kensington and Kensington, he always kind of has really leaned to the right. When I got him, he was like really stiff to the right. So I've developed this bad habit of riding with my right leg back all the time to keep him from falling in. And he kept yelling at me today, why is your right leg so far back? Like, what is it doing back there? It no, should be at the girth. You're in right lead canter. I really hope your right leg, I hope your left leg is behind your right one. Yes. That's what I was saying a yeah. lot. But sometimes that's what happens in riding is that your proprioception gets messed up. And the horses are better at training us than we are them. Yeah. That's so, right. So the horses get you compensating, get you, you doing things to, you know, to help them. And that's where video is really helpful or having a lesson or an instructor or seeing photos of yourself riding. All of those things will help to um, recalibrate your proprioception and fix your problems, basically. Um, oh yeah, I wanted to share. So for those of you guys in the 30 day rider position challenge, one thing that's really fun that we've been doing is everyone's been using hashtag progress to share their progress over the last 30 days. So if you're here 
and you want to share your progress, something that's improved, go ahead and let us know in the chat. What have you improved in the month of May? What have you improved? I haven't given it a thought really. I know I've improved my horse's relaxation. <laughs> well, there you go. I got to ride Frankie this week. That yeah. was fun. Um, I've got her carrying more weight behind and she's a bit more relaxed. I don't hear her grinding away so much in the trot. That's good. Yeah. Relaxation is important because if your horse isn't relaxed, they can't really think and you can't really train them. So um, what's my progress for this month? I think Kensington is like, he's really in the last month, just he's gotten so much more expression and strength behind. And that's kind of how it is in riding, you know, you plateau or sometimes you even get worse and that's very depressing. And then all of a sudden things kind of um, come together and you get a lot better. So, um, oh yeah, here, someone says she was trying to video herself, but didn't realize the wind blew over the camera. So no proof. Um, my awareness of the glute med and how important it was. Yes. The glute med is like the best muscle ever for riding. Right. And I hadn't heard of it until you and Stephanie started talking about it. And, uh, and then Kathy was asking me about, you know, the muscles to get to the canner. And I was like, well, the horse canners and they move you, you'll know. And then I told her to go look at your stuff because there's a real good explanation in there. And did she? I don't know yet. I haven't seen her. She has to go take care of her nephew. Oh. She'll be back next week. Okay. Um, okay. Here's a question. Do you have any tips on cantering for the first time after a bad fall and you're nervous? Sit back, breathe, keep your butt in the saddle. Uh, but yeah, grin and bear it. I, uh, it wasn't really, it wasn't, um, cantering. Although I did, I took my horse flipped over once. I hit my head. There was like three days where I was uncomfortable about doing anything. I was like, wow, this is nuts. And it, <laughs> it went away after three days. But I remember um, I had gotten into a, a motorcycle accident and I'd fractured my skull. And when I was ambulatory again, uh, somebody lent me a motorcycle. And I remember putting my leg over it and breaking out into a, just a sweat and my heart rate and everything. Was, and uh, I just rode the bike until it went away. You know, that's... Yeah, but it's also important to just take the time, like getting your confidence up, you know, like work on the trot, work on trotting really fast, work on, you know, like right. break so, it down. And, have you make someone the and you make you. the canter and you make the canter transition easy. You're on a circle, you trot walk. You walk four steps, you trot. You trot a half a circle, you walk four steps, you trot. You get the horse all dialed in, you trot walk, you trot walk, you trot walk, you trot canter. Yeah. And then I I definitely think though with horses, because they're prey animals, the second that you get tense and nervous things are not going to go well right, because they don't they sense it like they can sense it so much better than we can they if you're nervous your horse knows it like don't and there's so they, no it's way not they so don't. much that they think oh my god you're nervous they feel that and they think something's coming and yeah. so because you're nervous, they go, I haven't seen it, but I believe you and I trust you. And I know the way to safety is about 35 miles an hour in that direction. Yeah. So it, 
they believe you. You you act scared and they think something scary is coming. We should run away. And yes. that's why it's so important to keep your emotions under control. And so how do you do that? I breathe. I'm a big, big <laughs> believer in the breathing. Oh, okay, this week oh! he was demonstrating for one of the clients like how she should breathe and it was hilarious i could hear you like from the other side of the arena her trot her horse is going more forward now. okay show us how how do you breathe to get your horse going more forward oh no 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 <laughs> don't make me do that this is not embarrass her mind on tv hour is it everyone's laughing look we get all these nice compliments they're laughing a lot so Man, I'm no oh, cussing. I was about to. I was so about to. That's me. Normally, I cuss a lot. Um, so the horse goes kind of slow. Okay, I'm just going <laughs> to pretend there's nobody here. The horse goes slow, and you have to get electric, right, to get that horse moving. And so I got on the horse. My legs were loose. My reins were loose, and I just started moving like this and breathing like this and going. <laughs> And quick and quick and quick and the horse started going duh, 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 and boom off he went and she was like oh my god so i get like hysterical really? <laughs> i get hysterical with my breathing like boiling water i get hysterical and my whole body starts vibrating and i'm going like <laughs> and the horse is going geez 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 and poof off he went to the truck okay so there you okay, go so if you don't want your horse to go running off don't breathe like that right but if you do, like if you once you get the horse up to that level, then you need to back it down. But that is like very but you get electric and you breathe. Yeah. So horses are very much in tune with your body language. And so like your energy level, we all have different energy levels. Like some of us are very chill and like just relaxed. Others of us are wound pretty tight. And, and then you, there's those of us that are schizophrenic, which just makes it so much easier. But you'd be amazed. There's some people that sit on a horse and they light the horse up. Like their butt hits the saddle and the horse is like on and like eyes bugged out of their head. Other people get on the horse and the horse is just like asleep. Have you ever noticed that about some people? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And well, you and I are different that way too. I chill them out more and you heat them up more. Yeah. I mean, that's but, just our personality. But I think that's the art of being a good horseman is being able to adjust your energy level based on what the horse needs. Yeah. Um, the other thing about breathing is you did a lot of martial arts. And so that's kind of where it comes from, right? Yeah. Well, like if you're going to kick or if you're going to throw a punch. Right. You have to do that in sync with your breathing. And then we trained a lot of that. Not only that, when they hit you. You have to pretend it didn't hurt. You got to breathe through getting kicked in the face. So there's that part too. But like any time that you're going to do a transition, you basically like inhale, exhale. Exhale, eight. right. Exactly. Right. And that's exactly the same. Yeah. That's exactly the same. So that you're soft and then the aid and the horse goes off. Then that's the same as kicking and punching. It's all relaxed and smooth and then and the horse off he goes. Yes. For sure. That's exactly the same. We'll have to do a YouTube video on your breathing techniques. Okay. All right, everyone. Okay. We're That's going all. to continue with our evening. I hope you enjoyed tonight's entertainment.
Caro Kerman. He's going <laughs> diving tomorrow. He went diving with his broken finger sliced it's, okay, open. Okay, my finger's not and broken. I caught a halibut with a broken finger. Yes, and I made my own coleslaw tartar sauce. Oh yeah, and he, breaded it. That was and delicious. Was delicious. Uh, if any was... of you guys ever are in town, he <laughs> makes the best halibut ever. So you'll have to come. Over. And my finger is not broken. Um, I just lopped off the top above the bone. Well, a quarter of it. And then they took the other part and sewed it down and it's fine. I've, I've been, I took a day off and been riding ever since. So no big deal. All right. Thank you guys. And congratulations. I've been reading in the chat, all of you guys with your progress in the 30 day to round challenge. It's going to be over soon. It's almost the end of the month. So, um, yeah, the challenge is almost over. We hope that you'll continue with us in strides and have a good rest of your evening. Night, everyone. So that's it for this week. Thank you so much for all of your awesome questions. And I hope you learned something new from listening. If you're new to the podcast and you'd like a question answered on a future one, get on touch on Facebook through Amelia's Dressage Club, Instagram at Amelia Newcomb Dressage, or YouTube at Amelia Newcomb Dressage and mark the question for the live sessions. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you like it, please share it, review it, and tune in again next week. Thanks so much and happy riding.